The scripture this morning is from the book of Zechariah, chapter 11, verses 4 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. The flock detested me, and I grew weary of them and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day. And so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, great to be with you this morning, and it's uh, so good to see people uh, in the house, and uh, so glad you're here and able to be uh, regathered once again. We're also uh, very happy for those of you that uh, are making the choice to be home today that you're with us as well, and look forward to uh, continuing to worship as we now continue through the book of Zechariah. Now, this morning already, I've had uh, uh, a few people say, What's going on in Zechariah 11? What is all this stuff that's happening here? I don't understand. And uh, I'm pretty much with you there. No, I, I hopefully we'll have a few things to say. But um, we are going to take, though, a very high-level look at the book here today, uh, There's uh, or this chapter, I should say. Uh, but I do think we're going to get at what the real uh, nugget of it is, and I think uh, apply it to our situation in a very concrete way. So as we prepare to do that, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word, and we know that every part of it is inspired and therefore profitable for us. And so as we look at this chapter, Father, we pray that the same thing would happen here, that Holy Spirit, you who dwell in our hearts and who also authored this word through the prophet Zechariah, that you would teach us, that you would inform us, that you would, even more than that, 
sanctify us, change us, transform us, that we might be more like you, Lord Jesus, through our consideration of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at the story that's here. If you take a, a big step back, as I was uh, sort of hinting at earlier, uh, you can see what the, the story that's going on here, and it's pretty clear the meaning of this story as well. So let me go through very briefly what the story is about, and then we're going to digress to try to understand uh, what this parable is telling us. So here we go. And thanks to uh, Grant Kuali for this uh, wonderful artwork to tell, help us tell the story today. But basically, the story goes like this. Once... There were some bad shepherds who, instead of taking care of the sheep, would sell them off to the slaughter. They were looking out for themselves, not the sheep. As Zechariah chapter 11, verse 5 said, those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. But God so loved the sheep that he sent them a good shepherd named Zechariah, who sent the bad shepherds away. As verse 7 and verse 8 say, so I shepherded, and that's Zechariah speaking, so I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. And in one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. But oh my, who would have guessed this? The sheep did not like the good shepherd that God had sent, even though he loved them and took care of them. As verse 8 goes on to say, the flock detested me. So a dreadful thing God gave the sheep back to the shepherds they seemed to want. As verse 16 said, Then the Lord said to me, I'm going to raise up a shepherd who will not care. And much of this chapter is talking about the horrific uh, consequences of that fateful choice. Believe it or not, basically that is the story of uh, Zechariah 11, the story, the parable that we have before us here. And it's a parable about sheep and shepherds, which means it's a parable about God's shepherds and God's people and how they interact. And in the Old Testament era, of course, those shepherds would have been the prophets, priests, and the kings. Now, we don't know the exact historical fulfillment of this parable or even whether there was one, but the meaning of the parable is clear. We know what the parable meant. God is speaking through Zechariah to the people then, but also to God's people today, us, to warn us, to borrow a movie line, uh, when it comes to your shepherds, you must choose, but choose wisely. In fact, it was a parable that had been acted out time and time again throughout Israel's history, and God's warning them, don't let it happen again. Think of it, um, when the children of Israel, God's people, were in Egypt, their shepherd, if you will, the king who was over that land was the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh enslaved them, even ordering the murder of their baby boys. So God raised up a good shepherd, Moses, who was literally a shepherd at that time when God called him, who led them out of slavery in Egypt on the way to the promised land. But of course, the people rebelled against Moses time and time again wanting even to go back to Egypt and their former shepherds, if you can call them that. None of those folks, only their children, made it to the promised land. Once in the promised land, God raised up many godly judges, the last of whom, maybe the best of whom, was Samuel. But the sheep, the people, wanted a king like the other nations had. And so God said, okay, I'm going to give you the kind of shepherd you wanted, and he gave them King Saul, who wasn't that great of a shepherd. And how many times did God raise up prophets to try to steer 
the people of Israel from following after the bad shepherds, that is, the abusive false gods that they sometimes followed, gods that were no gods at all, and where worship was temple prostitution and often the sacrifice of their children, as Kevin pointed out somewhat last week. So again, God is urging them, don't repeat your history, folks. As I raise up good shepherds, follow them. Don't turn away from the good shepherds because then you're really turning away from me. It was God's plea to his people then, and it's, God, it's God's plea to his people now, namely us. So how does all this apply to us today? Again, in the Old Testament times, the shepherds of God's people were the prophets, priests, and kings. So in the church today, it's the pastors and shepherds, the pastors and elders, rather, who are the shepherds of God's people, you. And how do we know that? Scripture's pretty clear, really. Here's a couple passages that speak to that. Uh, first is Acts chapter 20. And you may recall that uh, Paul is on his way to Rome and he passes close by to Ephesus and he had had a wonderful relationship with that church, had been there uh, for quite some time. And so the elders, when they heard he was near, wanted to meet with him. So Paul is talking to the elders of the Ephesian church and this is what he says to them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And then Peter says pretty much the same thing in his first letter, chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. So it's the elders and uh, pastors of the church that are meant to be the shepherds of the flock. Now there's anyone who's in a leadership position this really applies to, but especially literally to the uh, pastors and elders. But we've got a bit of a problem here to try to understand what it means for someone to be a good shepherd. Um, how are we going to know that? I don't know. Is anyone here a shepherd? Anybody here that could tell us? I didn't think so. So uh, how are we going to know what it takes, what it means to be a good shepherd? Well, Thankfully, God's Word gives us a couple places that spell it out pretty clearly. And so as I say, I'm going to try to, uh, it's a bit of a digression from Zechariah 11, but we really are going to get at the meaning of this passage by doing so. So we're going to take a look at what literal shepherds of literal sheep do to understand what it means for the shepherds in God's flock, God's people, the church what we're called to do. So as we do that, we're going to look at four aspects of what it means to be a good shepherd. Uh, scripture's pretty clear on this, I think. Shepherds fight for and protect the sheep. Shepherds know the sheep. Shepherds lead the sheep. And shepherds lay down their lives for the sheep. So let's go through these, starting off with fight for and protect the sheep. Let me read to you how David, perhaps the most famous shepherd of all time, described what a good shepherd does. Now, this is a very familiar passage, but uh, just to set a little bit of the context for you, uh, David has just delivered food to his older brothers in the army, and he sees this big palooka named Goliath. Palooka, that means big guy, you know, palooka. But uh, Google that later if you want. Uh, but he sees Goliath, who's mocking God and the people of God, the armies of God, and he took up the challenge. He's going to face this guy. And uh, they, uh, King Saul tries to talk him out of it, though, because David, after all, isn't a warrior. He's probably a teenager, maybe in his late teens or whatever, and simply a shepherd boy. That's all he is. Of course, we know he's the anointed as the true king of Israel already, but listen to what David says in describing 
what he did as a shepherd. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I ran for the hills. Now that's what I would have done. Not what David did though. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Wow. Now, that's not what we expect maybe, right? And let's be honest. You've either said this yourself or you've heard someone else say it. It'll go like this. Now, pastor so-and-so, while he isn't much of a preacher, he really is a good shepherd. And by that we mean, yeah, he can't preach very well, but he's so warm and fuzzy. And if you have a need to talk to somebody, he's the guy you want to go to. Now, that is a, a, a true attribute of a good shepherd, that there's someone that you can talk to. But they're also supposed to be good at taking on lions and tigers and bears, oh my. In other words, a shepherd of God's people fights for and defends them from their enemies. Now, what might be some of your enemies? You might be, I, I don't have any enemies, my goodness. Uh, yes, you do. You do have enemies. There are enemies out in the world. We know that there's a, a being called Satan, uh, and he's alive and well on planet Earth, and there's many others like him. Uh, that's an enemy. False teaching and false teachers that are out there. And sometimes our biggest enemy is the sin in our own heart. That, as James 1 talks about, carries us away from the Lord when our desire bears fruit. So a good shepherd, though, takes on all comers. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But now let's also turn to another passage where uh, someone tells us what a shepherd does, and that is uh, John chapter 10, where Jesus, the good shepherd, uh, describes that a little bit more for us. So let's go to John chapter 10, three more qualities that we find there. The, a good shepherd knows the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, Jesus says, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, and leads them out. Now, you know, life often surprises us, or surprises me anyway, when I find things that uh, end up going well together that I never would have thought would go well together. Take chocolate and peanut butter, for instance. I mean, if you just take the two by themselves, I would never think that they would taste good together. But then there's Reese's Cups. They're awesome, right? They go well together. And to stay with peanut butter for a second, I remember someone challenging me and inviting me to partake of peanut butter on celery sticks. I don't even like celery all that much, right? You know, it's a green, it's a vegetable. Sorry, Jack. I, but I'm, I'm getting better at that. I really am. I'm trying. Um, but sure enough, I tried it, and it's really good. And it makes celery taste good. And there's even a trough, you know, for the celery where you put the peanut butter. It stays in there. It doesn't make a mess. It's great. So peanut butter and celery, and let's face it, you've been in a situation where you've known a couple people who start dating, and you think, what, those two together? She's dating him, he's dating her, how can this be? And then time sort of works out, and you find out that, yeah, they've got a great relationship. Who would know, you know? So in the same way, you might not expect to find that someone who's good at taking on lions and tigers and bears 
might turn out to be very people-oriented at the same time. But it turns out it's a great combination. The shepherd, a good shepherd, knows his sheep by name. So a good shepherd, you see, isn't just someone who likes to beat up on people or things or ideas, but is zealous to protect the sheep from anything that would do them harm. And let's face it, uh, for all of us, I would say, uh, it really does something for you when someone not only remembers your name, but knows your name. They don't have to just think about it, but they know your name. And as soon as they see you, you know, at things we used to do, like go to grocery stores and restaurants, they would say hello and call out your name. I must confess, I'm not very good at names. I have to work at it. Uh, and as this is our first regathered service, I'm going to say, hey, you know, let's cut each other a little slack. We haven't seen each other so long, and you can't really see us necessarily. So, you know, let's, let's be a little kind towards each other in terms of uh, knowing names and all that. But it sure means a lot, doesn't it, when someone remembers your name. But let's go back to John chapter 10 for another attribute here. And uh, extending from uh, verse 3, there again it says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd leads the sheep. For you see, a shepherd is not a cowboy. A cowboy drives a herd while a shepherd leads the flock. John Stott, a great Christian author, tells the story of being in the Middle East and having a, uh, going through a tour there. And the tour guide had made this very point that shepherds lead the flock in this way. But as their tour bus was driving around, uh, they noticed off in the distance that there was a bunch of sheep being driven by this guy who had a stick and was whacking on them and hollering at them. So the tour guide had the bus stop and he went over and asked what on earth was going on. He comes back and he says, that wasn't a shepherd, it was a butcher. That's the difference. And sometimes in the church, we find cowboys in the role of shepherds. Lead, follow, or get out of the way might be a favorite mantra of theirs. And that might play out in different venues, but not in the church. Guilt and manipulation can be some of the favorite tools to try to get us to do their bidding. But a shepherd leads, and the primary place a shepherd leads us to is the Lord himself. And so by calling us, encouraging us, teaching, and living by example in such a way, we are drawn to follow that shepherd in following the Savior himself, wherever he leads us. And once more to John chapter 10 for one last attribute. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, let's face it, that's obviously the most difficult characteristic for some obvious reasons, but also some not so obvious. Sometimes protecting and defending the flock can be very unpopular because sometimes the sheep need protecting from things they really like, like some false teaching they've come to embrace. Maybe by swallowing some favorite politician's mantra or a news anchor or a blogger, even though what they are saying goes contrary to what God has told us in his word. Challenging that might mean laying down your life in some way. As I intimated earlier, maybe uh, 
laying down your uh, life for a sheep might involve protecting them from some sin that they've begun to indulge. Which, as James 1 says, again, it carries us away as we are led away by our desires, much like a lion or a bear would carry away a sheep from the flock. Confronting a sheep, one of God's people, in those situations can be a lot like laying down your life. Only a shepherd who intends to protect, love, lead, know the flock, and all the rest will lay down his life like that. So the question really, Stonebridge, is what kind of shepherd do you want? What kind of shepherd do we want for our church? Today we have the opportunity at least at 4 o'clock, don't, don't forget, 4 o'clock, a little early in the parking lot, all that. Uh, and by the way, you'll stay in your car the whole time. Uh, but at 4 o'clock to potentially elect a pastoral search committee. What kind of shepherd candidate do we want them to bring to us? Who are we going to call? Let's pray we have the sense to ask the Lord to give us this kind of a shepherd and that we call our current and future shepherds, our pastors and elders that we currently have and will have in the days ahead, to this as well. So that's a quick survey of what it means uh, to shepherd God's flock and to shepherd it well. But really, who can measure up to this? Who can do all of this? None of us have what it takes within ourselves to be a good sheep, much less a good shepherd, right? Uh, here's a quote from a guy I, I like who has written a lot about this, Thomas Oden. He says, It might seem an embarrassment to the divine omnipotence that God would condescend to call, prepare, and ordain poor, finite human beings, inadequate persons of limited vision and skewed knowledge, born in a particular time and social system with limited moral sensitivities to continue Christ's own ministry. Ordained ministry is living proof that God's grace works through considerable human imperfections. Illustration right here. <laughs> so uh, it really is true, isn't it? But the good news, folks, is that we have such a shepherd in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, in whose name all other shepherds minister. He lives out all of these completely, perfectly, and lovingly. He protects us in such a way that no one can snatch us out of his nail-scarred hand. And no power, no trial, no demon of hell can separate us from his love. He knows us totally and will acknowledge us by name to his Father in heaven and the angels in heaven as well. And when the Lord is your shepherd, he leads you to quiet waters and in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even if it's through a valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with you. And all of this is true and confirmed because he laid down his life on the cross in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Now, one last thing. In case you might think this is all just made up fairy tales, which a lot of people will want to say about the scripture and all this about Christ. Fairy tales to help us sleep at night, as James Taylor put it in a song. Check this out. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. Or if someone did 2,000 years ago, they were geniuses. For the parable of Zechariah 11 not only describes things that the children of Israel, the people of God, 
had done several times in the past in a warning to them in Zechariah's time, an encouragement to us about what kind of shepherds to choose, choose wisely about our shepherds. It's a prophecy about the life of Christ. Let's go back to our art. Scene one. Bad shepherds are fleecing the flock. During Jesus' lifetime, we see shepherds are once again sending sheep to the slaughter. This time, through the deadly hypocritical legalism of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. As Jesus said, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. But God so loved the world, the sheep, that he sent the good shepherd to them, Jesus. Not just Zechariah this time, but Jesus, the good shepherd, who gets rid of the three bad shepherds. This time we know that he's talking about Satan, sin, and death, our enemies. As John chapter 1, 11 says, he came to that which was his own. Unfortunately, shockingly though, his own received him not. Shockingly, the hoped-for Messiah, the son of David, the one true shepherd prophesied in so many places by Isaiah and Jeremiah and so many others, is turned over to the Gentiles, shouting, crucify him. They shouted all the more, crucify him. They and really we, the sheep of God, turn our shepherd over to the slaughter. And the good shepherd becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Isaiah prophesied some 700 years before all this happened, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So this brings us to the open question, though, for each of us, what kind of shepherd are you going to choose today? Who are you going to choose as your shepherd? And I don't just mean at four o'clock and our committee and all that, but the shepherd of your life. You must choose, but choose wisely. For as the true shepherd gives life, the false shepherds, and there are many in this world, be they money or relationships, Careers, party scenes, entertainment, or whatever it is that you would make as your shepherd for life, your God, the thing that you would worship, those shepherds will take your life from you. But in Christ, the good news is that we are no longer slaves to those things that are not God's. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, how we thank you so much for your love for us, that you would send us the shepherd that we truly need. Lord, give us grace by the power of your Spirit to choose Christ to be our Savior and Lord. And for those of us who have done that already, that we would do it on a daily basis that we would realize that we can so easily be led away by our own sinful desires, by the many voices that uh, teach anything and everything but the truth. Father, we need you. So help us, Lord, to 
hang on to you in all things. Lord, you who have loved us, you who protect us, you who lead us, you who know us and know us by name, you who have laid down your life for us. Lord, we love you and we are so thankful for how you have broken all of our chains and brought us to yourself. Thank you, Lord. Help us to follow you in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.